Hi, it's Mark Bittman, and welcome to Food. As always, you can reach out to us at food at markbittman.com. We'd love to hear from you. Anything you want to say, we want to hear, and we will respond. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it when you do. Uh, and also consider subscribing to our thrice weekly newsletter, The Bitman Project. That's at bitmanproject.com. Okay, back in a sec. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bitman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. 
It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Interesting show for you today. One of our guests, Andrew Friedman, has made a career as a chef writer, as he calls it. He's chronicled the lives and the work of some of the country's most famous chefs. Notables such as Alfred Portali, Tom Valenti, Alice Waters, Jeremiah Tower, and more. But chef culture has changed over the years, and Andrew's new book, The Dish, The Lives and Labor Behind One Plate of Food, reflects that and reflects it well. Andrew still immerses himself in the world of chefs, to be sure, but the new book feels like an evolution of that, a more poignant and meaningful connection to the food world. The dish tracks a main course, I suppose you could call it, a main course of strip loin, tomato, and sorrel. Sounds simple. At an independent Chicago restaurant, he tracks those ingredients from start to finish, profiling the restaurant and the farm workers whose work makes the meal possible. And there's more. Joining Kate and me with Andrew is John Templin, who's the proprietor of Butternut Sustainable Farm, which is located outside Sturgis, Michigan, about 140 miles from Chicago. John's farm is robust. He grows everything from chilies to strawberries to eggplant, ground cherries, lemon balm. But he's perhaps best known for his tomatoes and even his nasturtiums, and he provides the sorrel in the dish. I'd asked Andrew if one of the farmers from the book could join us, and John's farm and operation take up almost the whole chapter, and Andrew of John has stayed in touch. So John was a wonderful addition to the episode, and among the four of us, it's a really interesting conversation. Here we go. Andrew, your book, the new book that we're talking about, is called The Dish, The Lives and Labor, behind one plate of food, which profiles the restaurant and farm workers whose work contributes to one single dish, in this case, a dry-aged strip loin with tomato and sorrel, at Wherewithal Restaurant in Chicago, which, as we know, is now sadly closed due to a collapsed sewer line after, of course, all the years of the hardship of the pandemic. I know you've said that the idea for the book came to you in a dream, but you must have been thinking about the components behind it and so on for a while, no? I mean, I always am, just given what I do. You know, the creative process of cooking has always been something I'm interested in. And I do, having spent a lot of time in kitchens, you know, as a collaborator and whatnot, you know, I feel like I've come to know uh, the full spectrum of workers in a restaurant more than a lot of people who do what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been fortunate to spend time at some farms. So... I mean, I've always been interested in the component parts. Uh, In terms of stitching them all together the way I do in the book, I I had never really thought of doing a book like that. The funny thing is, and I don't know how many people will get this, but I was 
thinking at the time, in my last book, there's a chapter called The Otto Syndrome. The title of the chapter refers to a famous story that the great writer John McPhee wrote in The New Yorker in 1979. You probably know it, Mark, but it, there's a whole story that goes along with this. He didn't he, he used a pseudonym, and it was a chef profile, and he called the guy Otto. And McPhee also wrote a book called Levels of the Game, where he takes a tennis match and uses the match as a way to tell the biography of the two players. And I just had McPhee on the mind and the kind of stuff that he wrote. And I think that's why I had this dream, because I thought, I just woke up and I thought, I mean, to me, it was one of these things like when Chanterelle years ago did their staff meals cookbook. It was it was this thing that was just kind of sitting there for somebody to think to do. But I don't I'm not aware of anyone doing quite this this book. I just couldn't wait to get going on it. I love that answer. And I love the idea of all of these ideas sitting around waiting for us to think of them. I think it was George Carlin who used to talk about observational humor and he said, uh, I, I'm, ju- I'm just here to tell you things you already know, but you forgot to laugh about. <laughs> I kind of feel like I kind of feel like I kind of feel like that's a little bit what this book was. Like I don't mean this as a compliment to myself, but it is that ultimate elevator pitch. You know, like I, you can convey it in one sentence, and very often when I when I start telling someone, you know, if I'm at a dinner or something, and someone asks me what I what I'm up to, and I mention the book. Usually they complete the sentence before I even get the whole thing out of my mouth. But it was great fun to do. And, and you know, as someone who's been writing about this world for 25 years now, I couldn't believe how much I had to learn. Yeah, I, lo- I loved the pitch. And it is something that I've thought about a lot. So I was excited to see it and actually get to read from start to finish. And, you know, I've worked in restaurants, but it's nowhere near this amount of detail. You call yourself a chef writer because you've profiled so many chefs. But you seem to have pivoted and gone deeper, which I don't think a lot of people who profile chefs or celebrities, for that matter, do. Um, It's like, you know, it's a fun job and it's flashy, but it seems like you have sort of gone to the next level. What made this happen? For years, I was trying to be a screenwriter, and it's, it's a whole long, boring story, but I found myself working a day job at a public relations agency And it happened to be the best, at the time, restaurant PR firm in New York City. And I found myself representing some of the best chefs in New York at the time. And then um, I started collaborating with one of my clients, actually. It was Alfred Portali when he was at Gotham Bar and Grill. And um, I thought that would be a one-time lark. And I ended up collaborating on 20-some cookbooks and memoirs over the years. And that was kind of my day job. I mean, that's how I looked at it, although I, most of my friends are chefs and cooks. And at one point, I realized that just by, you know, being a fly on the wall and spending so much time in kitchens and so much time, you know, we'd interview at night and then we'd go meet up with other people for dinner. And I just feel like I kind of accidentally became sort of an expert in in all things chef, you know, the life, uh, the different career trajectories, the years of training, uh, however that looks for individual people. And I am sort of endlessly fascinated by it. I used to write about tennis for about 10 years also. I was an at-large editor at Tennis Magazine. And, you know, most tennis players, the biography, once they hit an academy, you know, like at age 11 or whatever it is, 
it's very much the same story for all of them, you know, and chefs I've, I've always said are kind of like snowflakes, like no, I don't mean that in the political sense of the last few years, but no two are alike. You know, the way people, you know, that you can have someone self-taught who becomes an amazing technician and an amazing successful chef, and then you can have someone who, you know, goes to a culinary institute and stages for years, and that they can end up being peers and, and equals is really interesting to me, uh, as is the whole, for people who cook in what I call an expressive way, some people would call it a creative way, the way it's reflected on the plate, the way their life story and, and the places they've lived and worked, you know, to me, I compare it to the, a writer's voice. Uh, so for all those reasons, I've just always been very, I don't know, I'm just lucky I stumbled into it is all I can say. It is something that I, I don't see stopping. Uh, I mean, I just, I really love doing it. Not stopping, but this is definitely an evolution of that because you're talking about other people besides the chefs. You're talking about the people who make the chefs' lives possible, like John. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, the farm piece, I'd visited a lot of farms over the years, never really wrote about them in any real way, maybe a blog post or two. So that piece of this, including meeting John, who we didn't know each other before, we, we've kept in touch over the last two years, but uh, and he's not the only one in the book who I've, I've not everybody, but, you know, a couple of the people profiled or people I'm coming to think of as friends. And, you know, that was really fascinating. And, and I mean, the, when I arrived at John's farm at Butternut Sustainable Farms in Michigan and he started giving me the tour, I mean, that was all new to me. I just wanted to say, Andrew, that I do appreciate that sort of pivot because there was this time when you and I and a few dozen others really lionized chefs and sort of thought, well, the most important thing about food is chef cooking. And and I think I speak for both of us when we say at some point we recognized that was not all there was to it and, the, and that looking at things that way was a mistake. And I think you've gone some way into alleviating that, making a correction for that here. And I think that's really great. I appreciate that, Mark. Thank you very much. So, John, um, you're, as we said up top, but I'll just refresh people's memory, you're the proprietor and head farmer at Butternut Sustainable Farm. And you, your farm, provided the sorrel for the dish, as Andrew's book is called. So we were you happy to hear about this idea? You know, as I just said, I think that a lot of people don't think too much about where their food comes from, although I think that's changing. But I wonder what you thought about this kind of approach of Andrew's to give some recognition to the people behind raising and, and preparing the food rather than presenting the food. Right. So I actually thought this was a, a great idea because I, um, so I come from a family of business people. Like my grandfather was a business person. My parents both had businesses. That's how they met. My, my brother has businesses. And so I wanted to do something that I could give back. And just from going to farm markets and working with other farms, I see how much farmers like me struggle. And one of the biggest things with me is everything has a cost and showing what that cost is, you know, helps explain where, where food comes from and like all the, all the different aspects of what goes into the cost. So for someone to highlight how complicated it is to get a dish to a restaurant 
on a plate is way more complicated than people think. Yeah, no one thinks about sorrel, I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Most people don't know what it is. I barely know what it is. I mean, I I do, but, but, but barely. I was so taken with the descriptions of butternut in the book because it just sounds so beautiful and wild. It sounds like you have a really unique way of farming. You know, my dad actually lives on a farm and it's very tidy and pretty, which is also nice, but I feel like your way of doing it, it just really spoke to me. Um, I'm going to just, I'm going to read what Andrew, how Andrew describes the farm. He says, the farm comprises patches of wild growth with all manner of plants and weeds tangled with and encroaching on each other, all of it intentional. It's just like, oh my God, I love that. So you have a background in biology. Right. Right? And you have this incredibly unique way of farming, which has totally paid off. You have hugely successful relationships with a number of restaurants, a lot of them high-end. I'm curious about the difference between serving restaurants and serving consumers. I mean, I'm sure restaurants are more lucrative, but what's the difference in terms of personality and interactions? So we only do a a very small CSA, so it's less than like 3% of our business. And so dealing with people on week, people love, love to see it. And, and I do enjoy doing it. And I used to do farmer's markets, but because it's such a hard business to be in, you really have to like specialize and you have to cut costs as much as possible. And so like, you know, I would go sit at a farmer's market and I'd be really grateful. I'll, you know, I would wake up at four o'clock, pack the van, go up to Kalamazoo, do a farmer's market, sit there all day. And that was me using my time where I would just make, you know, I, I would get all kinds of compliments and things from people, but like, it wasn't worth my time to be there because it just wasn't enough because it's just not busy enough. And there's so much competition in that market that it made it hard for me to sustain. And so working with the restaurants, especially because I try to grow for taste and not production and for the good of the environment. So doing it this way, how I thought of it is when people think about the best tomato they ever had, they usually say like their grandparents' garden. And so I wanted to reproduce on a big scale, like someone's garden, not like a beautifully manicured, just, you know, how people, especially where I am in the country, where all my neighbors, they can all their food. They all have gardens. They all pick their beans. They freeze their beans. They go to potato farms around. They get extra potatoes. They put them in can. You know, it just trying to reproduce because the best food is that the shortest food chain is the best for you. It's best for the environment and it has the best product. Generally, that's true. Increasingly, I hear from farmers that farmers markets are just too tough. But I think, you know, that's why we're seeing more CSAs and even aggregations of CSAs and farm hubs and aggregators. And right. I mean, which, of course, is another step in the food chain, but is the supply chain. But as long as it's all sort of pretty local, I think that kind of middle structure is just going to become more and more common. The idea of that a farmer, I mean, when I was young, we used to go to farm stands, you know, it was all honor system. I'm sure you still have that stuff in Michigan. You still see it occasionally in New oh, York yeah. and Massachusetts, but 
you, if you wanted to buy from a farmer, you went to the farm and the stuff was out there. There was no, there were none of these city farmer markets or very few. But every farmer has that same story. I have to get up at four to do this, to harvest the night before. I have to get up at four to get down there in time, sitting there all day. It's either freezing or boiling hot. Maybe it's worth the time and money and money, but maybe it's not. And then four days later or two days later, I have to do it again. And yeah. Right. I mean, there are a lot of farms out there that people don't have a good work to life balance. And I've seen so many farms go under because people <laughs> just wear them. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it, people just wear themselves out to the point where they can't, they can't function because not only are you doing, I mean, you're doing the accounting, you're doing payroll, you're picking, you're planting, you're doing everything. And so like, you only have so much time in the day. Don't leave out the deliveries. I mean, this oh, was something that was stunning to me is, you know, John drives, what, two and a half, three hours yep. just to crack the border of Chicago once a week and then makes all the d- deliveries within town and then drives back. I mean, that's mm. a, that is a constant Brutal. Uh, presence on his schedule every week. Yeah, I, I start about five in the peak of tomato season. I was getting home about 1130, 12 at night, so... It's just a, a long day. And I mean, it's hard to recover from that kind of, yeah. you know, especially when, you know, when I started 12 years ago, it was a lot easier than than now, you know, just short of 40. But it gets hard on the body. You just have the month of January to recover, right? I Basically, what, yeah. 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 But then there, and then there's also the piece, you know, that's something most of us don't factor into our working lives, which is the impact of the weather. Uh and, and not just the financial stress that creates, but what is your comfort level going to be on a given day? You know, I, I, it's mentioned in the book, but, you know, there are days where if it's if there's a downpour, if, it's, if it hits on the right day, maybe they can take a few hours and not be out there. If it's the day before delivery day, you know, you have the to be crew out there. Are, are out there in the, and whatever's coming down, they have to be out there because they have to make those deliveries the next day. And one of one of the weird things about this summer was the fires. And every day, me and my employees went home and had headaches because you yeah. just couldn't, and you had to be out there. And I mean, that I just wanted to point that out because that's our new reality with climate change is we have to deal with all these new problems that we never had before, these new stresses. Stay tuned for more from me, Andrew, John, and Kate. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, Available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. 
Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bittman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. You know, Andrew, I used to make this, uh, it's not a joke because it's not funny, but I used to make this observation that when I started writing more seriously about food, more attention was paid in the so-called food movement to animal welfare than it was to human welfare. So you're, you're obviously among the people flipping the switch on that here, but it's also worth observing, and, and I'd love to hear your take on this, that if you'd written the book about a different kind of restaurant, a normal restaurant, a, a restaurant that doesn't think as much about sourcing or doesn't, you know, we have a restaurant we make jokes about that we like a lot in our neighborhood because the people are super nice, but we know that everything <laughs> comes off the back of a Cisco truck. I mean, and it tastes like it and it looks like it. Um, but that's what I mean by a sort of normal restaurant. But if you were writing about that, it would have been a much different book and probably less optimistic, darker, just any comments you have on that. So one comment is, I don't know if it would have been, I mean, it would have been a less optimistic book in terms of what it says about the supply chain and and how we get our food and the quality of food. You know, a restaurant that operates in the mold that you're talking about, you know, as an alternative, I dare say a restaurant like that probably has a greater chance of survival you know, I think their food cost, meaning the ratio of what they spend on their ingredients to the other expenses of the restaurant, is 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 probably pretty pretty low relative to a restaurant like Wherewithal or or other restaurants of its ilk. There's a couple of things in the book I wanted to show, and I didn't really want to say. I really didn't want to be preachy, but I hope it comes through to people that. Restaurant food, especially in a restaurant that sources, you know, all these, I was able to get to every farm in this book in a rental car, you know, using Chicago as a hub, you know, and and over five days. I mean, I I did one a day. Uh, That's how close in proximity all these farms are to where the restaurant physically was located. But, you know, restaurants who choose to source like this they're making, it's not just a, a, a flavor commitment. It's not just a commitment to quality and healthfulness, but it's, it's expensive. You know, it is more expensive than the stuff that comes off these trucks you're talking about. And uh, I'm sure you've heard this, Mark. A frustration I've heard from chefs forever is, you know, they're trying to do all the right things and someone will come in and say, how come a salmon dish in your restaurant is $35 and at this place down the street, it's $22? Where they're sourcing everything from Cisco, yeah. It's probably sourcing. I mean, the difference is is a big part of that answer is sourcing. Uh, It's not like these people are trying to gouge you. Uh, You know, the rate of inflation versus the rate of price increase in restaurants is out of whack, right? Restaurants are so afraid of alienating customers that I think their prices have been artificially depressed for years. And I hope that sort of a byproduct of this book is that people have a greater understanding of the commitment it takes for people to raise and process food this way, and also how many people it takes. I profile a delivery driver in the book from one of the farms. I spent a day with him, you know, a day that started at two in the morning. And uh, just what it takes that one person from that one farm, 
to make the rounds to get, you know, that one farm's product to a restaurant. And then you multiply that by, and that's just delivery drivers, you know? I think most restaurant food is a bargain, you know, at a restaurant that functions the way Beverly Kim and, and Johnny Clark's restaurants, the people that the chef owners behind Wherewithal, the way they do things. I agree. I thought their pricing was really fair. The key is just to not go out to dinner every single night. And when you do go out, I mean, everyone's said this a million times. You just, you spend money, you enjoy yourself, and you don't do it again for two weeks or whatever. It just it doesn't need yeah. to be all the time. For both of you, I'd love to know, what was the surprising realization that you got from the book? I mean, Andrew, in your research, and John, in the parts that you've read, or I don't know how much of it you've read yet, just what surprised you? I mean, in terms of what surprised me, I mean, the well, the, the whole thing with the delivery driver was, I mean, in terms of an isolated surprise that I had, no, I've seen people, I've seen for 25 years, uh, years ago, Mark, I know, you know, when you were collaborating with John George, I'm sure you must have, you know, I've seen these people roll into restaurants just with their hand trucks. I never realized what it takes to park a truck in a big city, you know, let alone do it at like 15 different places during the day. It's a hostile environment. There's nowhere to park a truck. It's it's usually either illegal or somebody's doing you a favor. Or um, I, I've said to many people that there's one job in this book I don't feel I could do if I was trained. You know, most of the things in the book, I'm like, you know, I don't think I'd enjoy uh, slaughtering uh, livestock, but I think if I were shown how to do it, I could do a good job of it. I could not do this truck driver's job. I, it's just I'm I'm metabolically incapable of breaking that many rules, of needing that much help from strangers. Of you know, it's just I w- it would crush me. It would absolutely crush me. Um, beyond that, the creative process in a restaurant was something. I, you know, it's very, it's rare that you get to watch that in real time. And this restaurant changed its menu every week. And in the middle of the book, there's a moment where you see the chef de cuisine and the, one of the chef owners after service at 1230 in the morning, sitting in the little patio out back with some wine. And they're starting to go through the ideation process of the menu that's going to be starting four days later on Tuesday. That was fascinating to me. That was fascinating to me. And to see how different people's input came into that and to see, you know, in that meeting, this again goes to what John does. They're sitting there with um, uh, the the availability sheets uh, from each farm, right, of all the farms they try to support. They're coming up with ideas based off of ingredients, you know, what's coming in, what's great, you know, and and but also that dialogue that goes on constantly uh, between the farms and uh, the chefs uh, and how that is just an ongoing conversation that ends up, you know, being the spark for what's on your plate was absolutely fascinating to me. Another thing from, it's I kind of knew it, but I hadn't seen it like across five farms in five days, is how much, at least, you know, in the in the farms that largely service restaurants, how much of it is done in this kind of old school way. You know, the number of farmers in the book who personally still take the orders, you know, it's it's not all been shifted into some kind of an app. Uh, John gets the orders however they come in, right? They come to John right. and yeah. he puts them up on a dry erase board out in this little production shed they have in the field. Uh, Louis John Slagle, who is a hugely successful uh, meat and poultry purveyor, 
he he has a blue. I just talk about this in the book, but he has a Bluetooth headset, and you know, I compare him to a Hollywood agent. He is on that thing all day, and people are they serve over a hundred restaurants, and you know, people are calling him with their order for the next week. You know, I don't know how he does it because he was taking orders while he was giving me a tour. You know. Um, <laughs> It's just amazing. But that's something you think about, you know, that's like hearing a doctor that still makes house calls. You know, that is not the way people do business today. Even restaurants, you know, a lot of them don't even have a phone line anymore. It's all done through Resi or Open Table or whomever. So that aspect of it to me and how, how that, that human touch, I think it's charming. I think it's probably slightly impractical, but um, John could speak to that better than I could. Sometimes I like to say that working with like 40 chefs is working with like 40 kindergartners because you're <laughs> you're 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 working with people that are more creative and not necessarily business-wise and that's kind of where I for me it's hard for me to sit on a computer and you know put in an app and all kinds of things I just need to have to write it out and then and then I can remember that because once I've written it out, then I know. And so I, I can just go out to the field and say, oh, I'm right by this. I can go get this. Or, you know, when I'm packing the coolers, I can just pull it up and say, hey, uh, I don't see this in here, but I remember seeing this on the email because I wrote this down. And so, like, it's just a way for me to to personally double check things. I think it facilitates this what I you know this ongoing conversation I'm talking about between the chefs and the I mean John hasn't mentioned it but he one of the reasons he makes deliveries himself is, correct John is you like to talk to the chefs you like to get a vibe for their restaurants sometimes they'll give you a little food and and you'll get a little you'll get a sense of what they're doing there um, right. and and you know that matters that matters you know because as John said and and Lewis John Slagle makes almost the exact same comment in the book you know, about raising whatever it is that you're raising or growing for flavor. Everyone says this, right? Like an organic tomato doesn't look as beautiful as, as something that's a little more manipulated, but the flavor is superior, you know? And John's a modest guy, but, you know, his, his prime tomatoes in the summer are, are just about, you know, all monopolized by Grand Ackett's at his restaurants, which is a huge compliment. And, uh, yeah, I just think that says a lot. Yeah, John, how do we get some of your tomatoes to try? <laughs> I was reading um, well, about they, them. They, and... they don't ship very well, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. I'll have, we'll have to come to Michigan. But we do have one more question for each of you, and it's the same question, and we ask everybody this question, and that is, what did you have for dinner last night? Well, it's funny. I'm in Bedford, New York, staying with a friend, and we went to... I have to get the name of the restaurant. It's a new French restaurant uh, run by uh, a chef and a, a sommelier host uh, who's his wife. And I, I wish this restaurant had existed when I lived in Westchester. It was just extraordinary um, French food. And I had a lovely, what was the cut? Chuck Flap was the cut of Wagyu for two that came with potatoes uh, boulanger and a little side salad and toast with bone marrow. John. But John, what did John have for dinner? What did, what you, did have you have for dinner last night? night? Might be more so, interesting. I, uh, it's kind of a disaster, but <laughs> I, 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 was, <laughs> I woke up Thursday with a sore throat. And so all weekend I was trying to nurse this sickness. And so I was just laying around 
playing it low, you know, resting up. And yesterday I decided I was going to make food because that's how I, you know, deal with my stress. So (laughs) I made this ragu with like late summer heirloom tomatoes and like a cut of beef and, and I roasted it all day. And then I put it in the oven to let it, let it cook for a while. And I fell asleep (laughs) and I came out and it was completely charred. I mean, it had like time and like fresh onions and leek. It was this beautiful thing I was going to make. And so I ended up opening a can of uh, Cincinnati chili and pouring it on <laughs> some spaghetti and, uh, and, and, and giving up. Um, okay, gentlemen, thank you so much. Kate, thanks yeah, for setting it up. And, um, yeah, thanks. We'll see ya. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you both. Thank you, guys. Thank you, nice to meet you thank all. You. Thank you both. So nice to meet you. Bye. 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 Thanks to Andrew and John for their insights and for this great conversation and for lending us their time today. You can follow Andrew on Instagram and Twitter. I can't bring myself to say X. I guess I'll get there. At Tokel and Andrew, that's T-O-Q-U-E-L-A-N-D-A-N-D-R-E-W. John's on Instagram and Facebook at Butternut Sustainable Farm. The Dish comes out on October 17th. That's just six days from today. So pre-order your copy now wherever you like to buy books. Thanks to Kate for co-hosting with me and producing the show. And as always to our engineer, Davis Lloyd. Thank you for listening and come back next week when we will have somebody incredible. Bye for now. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.